missing connection to science night. Please stand by. Welcome back to another episode of the Science Night Podcast. My name is James, and with me, as always, is Steffi. Hey. And Jason. Hello. We also have a special guest host. We have science communicator, artist, and returning champion, Dr. Jen Ma. Jen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me again. It's really exciting. Yeah, we can we can put the applause uh, in the background. <laughs> 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 Jen Ma, come on down! (laughs) There we go. That's the energy we need. Tonight, we're talking about synthetic skin, returning to the land of the time crystal, and learning how to listen. Before we start the news, I wanted to acknowledge that we've been running a lot of stories featuring worms and larvae and all the creepy crawlers. And I'm sure that's made some of our listeners a little uncomfortable. And since we have Jen on today, I wanted to find things that were a little more gentle in our science communication. Uh, So let's move on to our first story. A team of researchers at the University of Tokyo have submerged a robot finger into a vat of collagen and human skin cells in an attempt to make cyborgs with realistic skin. See, just gentle facts today. And the popular reporting is having an absolute field day with this, implying that Skynet is up and running and Judgment Day is just around the corner now that Terminators are possible. But I think that kind of diminishes how cool this actual story is. So what do we think about synthetic skins and our cyborg overlords that are just around the corner in vats of, vats of sugar water and, and amino acids? They're just waiting to help us. That's what I think. Let's be positive. <laughs> Um, This is fascinating. I used to work at a lab that had a robotics division right next door to us, and we walked into a conference room one time, and there was like a Terminator arm on the table without any skin. So we're like, oh, what's going on? And then I imagine how it would have changed had I seen it covered in skin, because you can actually see there's a video of this digit moving, and it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Would it have changed it for the better? Uh, that's that's the thing. You said it would have changed. Would it have made it better? I think because I'm so used to seeing robots without skin that it would have been like even more mind blowing. I got to tell you, as the anatomist here, I'm one of the anatomists here, like I just want to take the skin off. Yeah. That's all I want to do it here. I want to see what's way. inside. Right. It gets in the way. Exactly. It's just It's just the first step, right? It's the step you need to complete before you can actually see what you need to see. This stuff is pretty cool, I have to say. But, you know, the whole sugar water thing, it's got to be immersed, right? It's got to be immersed in this water that's filled with nutrients because otherwise the cells, the fibroblasts that are in there, are not going to be able to survive. What's cool about this is that they're living. They're living enough here that they can repair themselves, right? So if you slice into that skin um, and put a bandage over it, obviously this is a high-tech bandage. We're not talking about a Band-Aid exactly. But, you know, you put a bandage over it that is seeded with some uh, more fibroblasts, the fibroblasts that are in the skin, will actually fuse that skin together after about a week or so. That's really cool. But this stuff just kind of frightens me. You know, we're getting to this point where AI is starting to scare me, and this is taking it one step even further. Uh, And I'm not really sure what to make of it. 
What I do think of every time, however, I think of the sugar water is Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black walking around looking for sugar water. Um, and <laughs> that, to me, <laughs> is frightening. Jen, what do you think about this? Because, you know, you, you have a background in stem cells, and this is not necessarily stem cells, but it is cells, right? What do you think about realistic skin on unrealistic robots? Um, everybody's been talking about seeing it on a robot. Uh, I just really want to touch it. <laughs> I really want to and know. It, it wants to touch you, too. <laughs> We could, I guess, touch each other. Well, that's how touching works, right? We, you need to touch each other. But yeah, like I've been working in a lab and cell culture all throughout graduate school. And we, as a stem cell lab, we don't specialize in skin tissues, but we do grow cells like fibroblasts for other experiments. And, you know, they're always submerged in sugar water. It's not something that you touch because once you touch them, you contaminate your sample and then, and then that's the end of it. And so, yeah, I just, I'm just so very intrigued by the fact that you can touch this and they they say it feels like human skin and I wonder how much it actually does while feeling also kind of wet and covered <laughs> in sugar water which I think might be a little <laughs> bit weird but yeah definitely very very intrigued and again like the fact that it can heal itself right like I can touch it and damage it and, and it'll be fine and probably won't even feel anything but it would be really cool that eventually maybe it can also feel something you know they once they like start kind of adding in the neural cells and potentially you know blood vessels that can actually feed itself like I'm I'm just really excited about like where are they going to take this next that was the thing I got really interested in when they were talking well I had I had two very quick opinions on the part of the article where they talked about adding some kind of neuronal cells mm -hmm. or, um, you know, some kind of nerve impulse stimulation control to the skin. Because at first I'm like, well, that seems like an entirely bad idea mm -hmm. and that we should never learn uh, Terminators to feel. But then I was thinking, like, you know, we could use this skin for good on like a prosthetic or something and give people sensory input of like a hand back everything everything with this story has to be weighed against the negative of terminators right <laughs> well i think everything in the world period has to be weighed against the negative of the terminators right that's what sarah connor said right right i guess to me what was jarring about the way that this was described what you're talking about here james was described in this article was that ritu raman the mit engineer who builds uh, machines with living components was talking about how she'd like to see a future version of this, you know, living robot skin embedded with nerve cells to make the robots more aware, quote, more aware of their surroundings. That just sounds like an ominous sign that we're heading down the wrong, the wrong path. You now, know. to make them more aware of their surroundings just is, it just seems like, uh, like a box we don't want to open. I guess maybe... Bringing it back to the gentle side is you could put this living skin on a Roomba and make it more able to navigate your floor. Uh, you know, you'd have living skin on a Roomba just traveling around. Maybe that's the angle they mm. should have taken is not putting on realistic armatures, but putting it on unrealistic thing. Like one of those giant supercomputer boxy things covered in human skin. What could go wrong? What could go right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything 
to add to that. Maybe it would make us more empathetic towards our technology by knowing that it can th- it can feel. Oh, welcome back, Jen. It's, it's gone off the rails completely. I just have this image of a big supercomputer covered with skin, and I just don't know how to process that. Probably through the nerve cells in that fake skin. That's how it's processed. <laughs> okay, Jen, what were you going to say? It's probably way better than Oh, no, no, nothing, nothing but profound. I'm just kind of thinking, you know, before, before we can be empathetic to a computer or robot that with, with, you know, skin wrapped around it, it probably needs to really look realistic. I think like, Mm. it's going to be creepy for a very, very long time (laughs) until it gets so convincing that we can't tell that it's a robot. And it's like, you know, synthetic skin then maybe we can start feeling like oh that's something that i recognize and can empathize with i'm just thinking you know we have trouble empathizing with other humans i don't know (laughs) how easy it would be to empathize with a robot covered in uh, creepy wet skin (laughs) (laughs) oh that's true it is going to be completely damp at all times right now (laughs) right can you imagine that completely damp skin with sugar water and then it just says, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. And it starts singing Daisy May. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Is it that or they they inspire a new kind of aesthetic? You know, like that glowy, wet, moist skin look that everyone's yeah. going to like be so hype about. Oh, man. Cosmetic companies are going to make so much money, aren't they? They can sell you the vat of sugar, water, and amino acids that are good enough for our robot overlords to submerse yourself in every night oh maybe there are robot friends you know this is just going to be co-opted by the sex robot industry right Mm. okay well there we go right Mm. (laughs) we should move on going from one story that i am at a loss for words about we go to another story that i'm gonna try to psychom my way to the end of the intro but man this was way over my head um let's do it way back in the first episode of this season In an era I'm calling PS, or pre-Steffi, mostly because the before-Steffi acronym didn't sound quite as nice, uh, friend of the show, Chris Goulet, talked to us about time crystals. If you want a better explanation, why not go back and listen to his telling of this story? But basically, a time crystal, as I can understand it, as an anatomist, not a quantum physicist, is a system of subatomic particles, so like the smallest things that we can play with right now, in a state of constant repetitive motion that theoretically remain in that state forever, as long as they're not like messed with, or I guess you would say observed. In that relaunch episode, we talked about the creation of the first time crystal and how it could revolutionize computing if enough of them could be combined to work together. And today we're reporting that a team from Lancaster University in the UK has repeated the process of creating time crystals and found a way to link two together without affecting their quantum state bringing us one step closer to that Jetsons future that we have been promised for nearly 50 years at this point. So let's get going. Let's start linking up these time crystals. And uh, that way I can walk my dog on a, a space treadmill. So I've gotten to the point of quantum physics that I understand. And I'm going to see if the four of us can hive mind together a better understanding of this story. Jen, do you want to go? 
I haven't touched any quantum mechanics since I think first year of undergrad. <laughs> so yeah. this also kind of just went over my head. Did anyone think this article was a little bit dense for like popular reporting? So yeah, this was a dense article and I, I gosh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics is like magic and sci-fi, but it's real. It's one of those things. I remember taking these classes and I've taken several quantum physics classes and you look at the math and you're like, I can understand what's going in in this mathematical equation. And what this means in reality, but I cannot physically understand that this is actually reality. And then they have these experiments like this time crystal experiment that actually shows or demonstrates what was mathematically hypothesized. And you're like, this is mind blowing (laughs) and this is happening now. It reminds me a little bit about the string theory experiments, right? Um, Where, you know, you can't see this stuff. But when you make mathematical calculations and then the experiments that you run, when I say you, I don't mean me by any stretch. I don't really even mean you, Steffi, although you're the closest one to it. Those predictions are borne out. That's pretty cool. That's pretty strong evidence that, you know, those hypotheses or those theories hold true. But again, it's magic. And it's never a good sign, by the way, when we when we start this, uh, you know, this news story and the nuclear physicist here, the nuclear engineer turns to the stem cell biologist and said, Jen, you want to go? <laughs> well, no. So, like, I really wanted your insight because this is really interesting. Quantum mechanics will always fascinate me. It's always amazing, especially like this. And let's get to the heart of kind of what's going on in a time crystal, crystals that we typically know, crystal structures, it's repetitions in space. So you take a discrete size of a lattice space and everything looks the same. Time crystals are repetitions or discrete repetitions in time. So if you take a discrete step in time, it'll look the same. So they hit these time crystals with a laser or um, a wave Um, And it flips the spin state, and then it goes back without any extra energy put into it. Because in quantum mechanics, if you're in the ground state, it's just going to keep moving. So what do you mean by ground state? So there are two states, right? You can have, like, if you're thinking about it in terms of computers, right? It's either a zero or a one in binary code, right? Yeah. The same sort of thing here, correct? You can have more than one state. You can have a bunch of different spin states. It's not just off or on, like you have for normal computing. So quantum computing, you can have a lot of different states, which means you can store a lot of different information, which is why people are really interested in quantum computing, because you can take things like encryption, which takes a lot of computing time, and it can actually be done a lot faster with quantum computing, just the way the computations are done and the amount of information that you can store. Okay, let's talk about ground state. So ground state is when it'll just reach its minimum, and it will not change anymore. When you put a cup of coffee out, it'll cool down. That's going to be like its ground state, minimizing energy. For the quantum state, this is why, or quantum physics, this is why quantum physics is amazing, because at the heart of it is the uncertainty principle. So you cannot know simultaneously the position and the velocity or the energy of the particles. So that Because of that, that means you can never have exactly zero energy in the ground state ever. Because in order for that to happen, you'd have to know the position exactly. Because of this, 
that means that there's a potential to have perpetual motion at the quantum scale. So that's what these time crystals are. When you flip the, you hit it with um, a laser, flip the spin state, and then it's going to keep spinning forever because that's its ground state. That actually made sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I followed you. I'm so impressed with myself right now. I followed that. <laughs> so I'm glad you followed it because I, I just get in these holes of like read it, like, going to quantum mechanics and then my my partner and I just like went off last night we're going on and on about this and and the sci-fi of quantum computing and now time Mm -hmm. crystals I just find it fascinating okay let's get back to the tie into quantum computing and why this is so interesting Um, computers need to store information memory right so this because you can have this perpetual state where you know what what the history is of the state that gives you memory in the system. So it's a way we can look at how do we scale this up to actually store men- memory then for quantum computing. The big question, yeah. Steffi, is yeah. what does this mean for fusion? What does this mean for fusion? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, if you have the kind of computing power that you need to maybe run an electrical grid that could store fusion energy somehow maybe we've got the building blocks to make something big right so that is a great question it's the kind of computations you're going to do so if we're talking about fusion energy we are tracking the motion of 10 to the 20 zero particles per per cubic meter that's a lot of particles yeah it sounds like a big number yeah we know the equations of motion it just takes a long time to compute them in a standard computer so we distill that down to fluid equations. We can actually simulate that huge collective movement of all these individual particles as a fluid. Um, and it works pretty well. Those are not the computations that quantum computers are really optimized for because they're just, for lack of a better word, dumb math. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. Every fusion scientist perked up right there. I'm talking they, they about... found us out. <laughs> I'm talking about when you're doing encryption, it's like factorials and all of these these things that mm-hmm. you need to do. Um, it's just a different type of equation. It's not brute force that we do for like the equations I was talking about for fusion. So this is this is more for information theory, which you can you can do a lot with. I'm excited. It's, I, it sounds like if it. If you're excited, I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I have a bit of a question. I think I remember when I was reading an article, it says that it could be the beginning of answering the question, um, like how does or where does quantum mechanics kind of transition to classical mechanics? And I thought that was really interesting because that's the, one of the questions I've always had, and I thought I just didn't know enough to know the answer. Now I realize, oh, nobody knows the answer, and I'm kind of like interested <laughs> to hear what Steph thinks about like how how this actually can contribute to us answering that question. That's a great question. It goes back to unifying the forces, right? So at the large scale, we have gravity that kind of guides it. So general relativity, classical physics, and then at the quantum level, the very very small quantum level, we kind of ignore mass. And quantum mechanics takes over. So it's that combining those two realms. And so when you start combining these systems, 
these quantum systems where you start seeing how can you maybe unify them, maybe come up with a new way, new theory. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I have an actual important question. You people are rambling on about this science stuff. I want to know if we get to this quantum level, we're able to observe these time crystals. Are we going to see these like giant bird-like things protecting oh this time crystal <laughs> in like a giant castle and kind of exerting their will over these these smaller, more puppety looking creatures um, <laughs> in the forest around them? So what do we know about that, Steffi? What what is this is this able to pull the essence out of the Gelfling? It's sci-fi now. It always was. Or is it sci-fact? <laughs> oh. It doesn't really let's... matter whether it's oh. sci-fi or sci-fact, as long as we can find a way to fit fizz gig into it. You know, a little ball of fur. There we go. If yep. you say it's crystal. true, then it's true, right? That's right. It's quantum. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We will be back with more with Dr. Jen Ma, but first, a quick message from the people that make this podcast happen. Jen, I wanted to thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and talking to us about the things that you do. It's really exciting. I wish there was a way that people could kind of show their appreciation for the things that we're doing on our podcast. Um, man, I, w- I really wish we could brainstorm and think of something. We should right sell now. some stuff. What would you buy, Jen? I really like things that I can wear. Oh. Show the world that I'm part of Science Night and I love science. I love that idea. I like it. Maybe, maybe some merchandise that tells people where they can come and hear your story. Oh my gosh. We can be a place where they can hear our story and we can put that on a t-shirt or a hoodie or this what do they call this thing a three-quarter length a raglan shirt i believe uh is what is what printful calls it anyway leggings oh leggings are great i look great in leggings i gotta tell you that um you know i usually only show you from like this part up for um reasons but that's a good (laughs) idea reasons For leggings reasons. You're always wearing leggings. I knew it. I I feel like crop top and leggings going to be a really good look on you. Yep. It's a good thing we sh- it's a good thing we sell both of them. We sell all of that and more at slash merch Jen, you have been doing all kinds of fun stuff since we've talked to you last. And I wanted to bring you on and talk about, because we are a science communication podcast after all. We should communicate about communicating. Some might say that is like the one thing that we can actually do to help mankind is tell people how to talk about things. So let's talk about some of the stuff um, that you've been doing. Steffi's making fusion. I'm trying. Just pointing out. That's true. <laughs> Fine. Fusion works. It does. <laughs> <laughs> we just we need more money and time. Jen, let's talk about what you've been doing, uh, specifically with your kind of listening sessions that you have been doing and are still planning to do um, now. So talk to us about open heart listening. Yeah. So I'm, I've also been doing and thinking a lot about science communication. And one thing that I've noticed is that we focus a lot on 
the talking, but not so much on the listening. And listening is definitely a skill that can be learned and practiced. And when you don't do it, you kind of lose it, just like you know a lot of other skills. And you know, especially in in this age and climate where we have a lot of divisiveness, there's a lot of polarization about, for example, you know, the pandemic, you know, ever since the beginning, there are lots of different opposing ideas and and thoughts and opinions about how we should deal with it. What are public intervention that is actually good for us and how much of it should be enforced by the government and institutions and whatnot. And it's really easy for us when we talk about these topics to focus on what we think is right and then make a lot of assumptions about people who may not agree with us. We assume that they are not well-educated or they are selfish or they are not thinking big enough or doing their own research or all these things. And what happened when we have all these assumptions before we even go go into the conversation is that it kind of blinds us from seeing what, who the other person really is and what their intentions and their experiences really are that kind of informed and motivated their, their actions and their opinions. And when that happens, all we want to do is fight them. We, we want to defend our own ideas and beliefs and ideals and prove them wrong <laughs> because, you know, they can't agree with us and we don't want to be wrong. So, of course, they got to be wrong. And that conversation is just not productive for anybody because you're only talking at each other instead of talking to each other and actually exchanging ideas and and allowing that conversation to actually help you understand the situation better, um, what other people are actually experiencing and value and, and need from everybody else, from the society better. And what we are trying to do here essentially is to prove that it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be so defensive about our position. We don't have to make all these assumptions about the people on the other side, on the quote unquote the other side, because ultimately we're all human beings and fundamentally our needs and, and emotions and experiences have a lot in common. And that was very clearly shown to us um, at this event that we planned called Open Heart Listening Event. And basically, all we had to do was to create an environment where everybody felt safe. The facilitators help everyone kind of agree on um, a couple of simple rules. For example, confidentiality. You know, what sets here stays here. So you don't have to worry about what's going to come back to you after this session. And you can, you can feel free and safe to say, to, to say your piece and to share whatever that's coming up in you. And also, you know, everybody agrees to listen without judgment. We're here to understand the speaker, what they're trying to say, what they're experiencing without adding our own opinion 
And we also have this exercise where one person will go in the middle of the circle to share. And then once they are done, we will invite people from the circle to mirror them. And all they're supposed to do or all they're responsible of doing is to reflect, reflect what you perceive. Again, without adding your own judgment or criticism or, or your own opinions, whether they're right or wrong, all you're doing is, this is what I heard that you said. And through that exercise, basically the presenter felt hurt. And for a lot of them, for the very first time in a very long time, because they are able to share a lot of feelings and thinking that they felt like they have to hide. For example, since the beginning of the pandemic, because we, at this session, we focus on the, the topic of vaccines and mandates and stuff like that. And for the people who are in the circle, because they're also kind of stripped of this, this urge or responsibility to debate, to um, kind of prove that the other person is right or wrong, they're able to just step back and listen and really hear what the presenter is saying. And through that, really able to kind of empathize with what's being said. And again, because these emotions, these thoughts, and these needs are so universal, right? Like we all have fears. We all have the need to protect the people around us and ourselves. We just want to care for the people we, we love and, and, and are important to us. And we just want to make sure we can still have our freedom at the end of the day because that's also a value that's really important for a lot of us. And so it was really, really amazing to see how all of this were able to happen without any even training or anything. Like all we did was, do you agree that you're going to keep everything set in the circle in the circle? You know, raise your hand if you do. And they did. Are you, would you agree to listen wholeheartedly and without judgment and, and try to understand as much as you could and empathize they said they did and when you're sharing do you agree that you would again share from your heart and authentically and and focus on your experience instead of trying to attack other people and they said they do and that's all it took and a bunch of people who really do agree and and have the intention to to listen to each other and i think that was the most fascinating and and hope-bringing part of this um, to me because we've done this once before when me and my friend were in Hawaii uh, with a different kind of community and there it, it was also like very successful the outcome was very similar which is people felt really connected people felt unity and comfort from people that they don't agree with, which is, I feel like almost unheard of, but it shouldn't be. But we weren't too sure we would be able to replicate that because we thought, oh, like within that group, you know, people kind of knew each other and they've been exposed to exercises that, that might have been similar to this. And, you know, they are, they understand some concepts about like nonviolent communication. And, and we thought, oh, maybe this group was special. But what happened this time was to us prove 
that you don't need that. You just need people who are willing to give it a try. And that tells me that we can bring this to everybody. We can bring this experience so that everyone can experience it and feel it and feel the difference from before and after the session, which a lot of they said feel very hurt and accepted, something that they haven't felt in other spaces for a long time. They feel that they can more deeply understand the voices of the other, again, quote-unquote, the other side. And also they feel that they are more open now to conversations with people who may hold different perspectives and opinions because they now realize, oh, seems like they actually want the same thing as we do, which is operating on like a different set of information or, or you know, we, we, you know, motivated by the same need and values, decide to do a different set of actions. But we want the same thing. So why don't we talk? I'm going to stop there and, and let you, <laughs> let you um, ask questions or, or comment or anything. But yeah, sorry, I got a little crammed away. I'm, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> So I super love this. I am super excited. So uh, we've done a couple of things. We call them community agreements. It's kind of similar what you're like ground rules for these tough conversations. But these situations that I've always had them, it's been like in my classroom or working with groups of people that are have a common point of view that we're coming from. I have not been in a situation that you set up where it's so polarizing and this is so exciting. Like I am so excited that this worked and how well it worked. Wow. I totally agree. Um, I love this. And uh, we've done some similar things here in Indianapolis. Uh, A colleague and I had a a couple of colleagues and I had a grant a few years ago to run a series of workshops um, that we were calling a scientist and a priest walk into a bar. And they were just conversations about the intersection between religion and science in a community setting um, where we invited members of the community to come and talk to each other and to learn how to listen to one another. And I think this is fantastic. Um, One of the things, however, that I think we noticed is that while we had this sense of community and the sense of shared meaning making that happens at these events, it's not clear whether that extends and continues once that event is finished. So Jen, my question for you is, do you have a sense of whether or not this is a long lasting effect or whether this is the effect, you know, that this effect of community is more acute and the further away from that event you get, the less that that sort of pervades and the more tribalism creeps back in. Right. Um, I don't have the data to back this up because we kind of just started this work, but from what I have seen so far, it seems like the effect definitely at least lasts for a couple of days. That's where that's the kind of feedback that we've heard from our participants and, and for ourselves too. Like the facilitators were just as moved as everyone else. But I do suspect that it would eventually kind of wean off. And like I mentioned earlier, I think this is like practicing a skill, right? The more exposure you have to it, the more opportunities you get to practice this listening and accepting and, you know, 
without um, intervening and surrendering to your own urge to kind of debate and fight and, and correct people, the more we get to practice that, the more it becomes integrated into our own self and, and the more natural it's going to feel and the longer lasting um, that skill is going to be. And so I think what could be really helpful is basically creating more opportunities for this type of conversation to happen. I'm also uh, hoping to create uh, workshops and courses and potentially communities, for example, the like online communities these days have been really helpful for like-minded people to come together and keep practicing skills that they've learned and support each other through that process. Because I do think that this is going to be a process, right? Like habits, old habits are, are hard to shed, but it's possible. What uh, we need is to create the, the support system for that to happen. I totally agree. I am one of those people that could do for a little bit of help with my empathetic listening and, and not trying to just run to correct people. Uh, that's why I've just pivoted to talking about Philadelphia sports on Twitter and not giving into my worse urges to, uh, you know, just be a terrible person. That's right. James, just repeat after me. The information deficit model doesn't work. Repeat after me. Come on. <laughs> Repeat after me. Come on, come on. Yes, I know, I know. And this the is that idea that right that if model doesn't work. Right. And this is the idea um that that if you just give people better or more information, they'll make better choices. But we know that's not true. I mean, I will eat as much barbecue as you put in front of me, knowing that that's not going to help me lose any weight when I probably should do that. But I can find lots of reasons to eat that barbecue in front of me and not many reasons to not. I just read the news. See, that's I know that's reason. not good for my health these days. And <laughs> no. so I stop. I, I try my best not to. That's good. your barbecue, Steffi, is the no, news? No, then it's like, oh, I got a reason to eat this cupcake. Oh, I got it. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Or Steffi cakes, actually, as they're called, right? Steffi cakes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, I love what you're doing. And I have been a huge fan of the, the way that you approach difficult situations. Uh, I'm talking to Jen now. I'm a huge fan of Steffi and Jason, too. Um, Thanks, James. But for different reasons. Yeah. But I love looking at the comment section on your Instagram and how you kind of approach people who come in because, you know, it's still uh, the Internet at that point, And people come in hot to your comment section occasionally. And they always end the well, for the most part, they kind of end the engagement by being totally diffused and maybe not agreeing with the information that you're putting out there, but not hostile. And I'm wondering if your kind of like redirection is doing anything long term with these people. If maybe they go into the next altercation like that, a little less defensive and maybe a little more open. And maybe they never get to the point where they completely change their mind, but they're at least like decent about it uh, going forward. And I find myself wanting to be more like that. But until I get to that point, I feel like I'm just going to disengaged from the from the interneting of of that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah i mean that it's also totally okay right like this this work is tough um and i'm not i'm not a saint <laughs> like, i have those urges to to yell and fight and, and say like you know 
ugly things to people too. Um, but you know what really helped me was that session that I held in Hawaii last last year. That is I, I, a lot of times when I encounter people who are angry or are you know saying things to me that I don't appreciate because they don't agree with you know my point of view. I think back to that that event and the people that showed up there that day and remembering the some of the things that they've shared and and reminding myself that this is probably how these people also feel and so that immediately kind of shift my thinking into you know wanting to combat them um and instead i want to understand like where they're actually coming from and one thing that i've also found really helpful is the um, just by asking a question instead of confronting and correcting, I've often forced myself, and 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 force is is the right word here sometimes. <laughs> at least force myself to remember. Oh, ask the question first, because ultimately, what do I know about this person? Nothing, absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. and it would not make any sense for me to just start making assumptions about them and operating under that assumption. And it's not like I can't find out more about them, right? Like I, I understand, you know, there are situations where we can't find out more information and just have to work with what, whatever information we have. But this is not one of those situations. That person is right there, whether it's, you know, on the other side of your screen or actually right in front of you, and you can talk to them. You can ask them questions. You can actually figure out what they're thinking and what they're needing from you. And once you get past that, it's so much easier to talk and have a conversation. And that oftentimes also disarm them and make them feel like, oh, okay, you actually care about me as a person and you actually want to listen to what I have to say. Well, I've been bottling this up for <laughs> two years, and let me tell you all about it. And at the end of the, and, and, and usually at the end of the conversation, they're just so grateful that you're there to listen. And my hope is that they would carry that feeling with them, and you know, understand that oh, not everybody want just want to shut me down, like shut me out. There are people who may not agree with me, but are willing to hear what I have to say and consider what I have to say. And I I have to also say that a lot of times they're not completely wrong either. We may disagree about something, but most of the time, there are things that we can also 100% agree on. Um, And really, you know, what we're trying to do here is opening up that opportunity for ourselves as well, right? When you talk to somebody who doesn't agree with you, that's one of the best learning opportunities that we can get. You know, they will provide a different perspective. They would definitely tell us something that we're not ex- not experiencing or not understanding. And it, whether that is useful for you down the line, you know, you can find out once you actually listen to them. But at the end of the day, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for the both of us you're not doing them a favor only you're doing yourself a favor as well so yeah i think kind of going back to what i said earlier at the beginning my experience with this event that we've been hosting definitely changed me 
And that's the kind of change I want, also want to bring to other people. Um, again, I see it as an opportunity of learning, of connection, of acceptance, and of comfort as well. That's one thing that really came out from, from these events is people feel comforted. And we all need more of that these days, I believe. Yeah, that is all great. I am incredibly excited to see where this goes. It's like a a race to the kind of impossible thing. Can we bring people together or can we solve fusion energy? Which one's going to happen first? Uh, right now, fusion. both seem equally... <laughs> Standpoint of like, you saw the results, right? You did the work and you made it happen, and it takes, and you're building community. And how do you perpetuate that throughout society that's historically, and I'm speaking from a US centric point of view, that's been people going off into their groups with like minded ideas and kind of soundboarding it and kind of sticking with each other and fundamentally changing that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now with like technology also kind of pushing that, yeah. pushing everyone towards that, which is not helpful. But yeah, I think I think it's the same answer as you were you were asking Stephanie before. And I do think the answer is time and money. Yes. Is <laughs> <laughs> so whoever can get the funding first. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. make it happen. For sure. So Steffi, um I have a question for you then. Would you say that uh that empathetic listening and community building is 20 years away oh it's always gonna be 20 years away Ooh, actually hold on i i do have a way to bring what jen's talking about and steffi together uh harmoniously as well fusing it together Uh, steffi yeah fusing it together (laughs) just like tritium and and the other thing um (laughs) the other thing (laughs) um in the Festival View Festival of Fusion 2021, starring yourself, myself, and Dr. Arturo Dominguez of uh, some would say an Ivy League school in New Jersey, um, talking about how you as Fusion, that's like the big enterprise of Fusion, started the year off by having this community agreement where you promised to like work together towards a common goal. And kind of like be decent scientists to each other. And kind of in light of that, you had a very good year as Fusion. We had a whole special about it. And then you got to go to the White House because of that special. Yeah. Uh, Right. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Well, I think... Uh, to get back with Jen, say, it takes time. So you can have that one experience and it works really well. And then I'm very interested to see if you'll have follow-up studies to kind of quantify the lasting impacts. I think that's the start, right? Is to kind of get people in the groove of this is how our community will interact from now on and grow. And with that becomes creating spaces that diverse populations, historically marginalized and oppressed people can actually feel psychologically safe to contribute to. And that leads to innovation when you get all of these different voices now giving you their point of view. That takes time. So that that mm. did not <laughs> happen in a year. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I love it. It's amazing. 
Yeah, thanks for doing this work, yeah. Jen. That's yeah. I just want to say that. You don't have to keep that in the recording, although you can if you want, James. <laughs> I mean, I think we can just we can do our our accolades and send it to her as like a like a card where you open it. She's having a tough day and she just opens the Hallmark card and so like, thank you for doing the work. You're super important, <laughs> you're saving the world. Um <laughs> on a loop. <laughs> I also just wanna wanna emphasize that I'm not the only one and it's all it's definitely a team effort and yeah. we need as many people on board and, and and help out as well and so yeah I'm I'm very grateful for my um, co-facilitators and organizers and also the participants themselves right like we can't make anybody do anything they have to be willing and mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for their intention of joining our events and willing to be open and experiment with us. And that takes a lot of courage. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. I am very excited to see where this goes. And I hope that you will come back onto the show and report new things and exciting things so that even our tiny little podcast can signal boost the work that you and people like you are doing to maybe make the world a little more gentle. Thank you. Thanks so much for letting me share this. And you've come to the end of another episode of the Science Night Podcast. But there are lots of things coming your way all summer and into the fall. So be sure to follow us on social media. If you want to follow me, I am on Twitter at James underscore read three. And like I said before, I'm not going to yell about you about anything unless you are not a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Uh, there we can just, you know loathe our situation together Steffi where can everybody find you you can find me on Twitter at Steffi Deem or Instagram at Starshipping uh, there's a lot of garbage right now in the world so I may be posting pictures of puppies I don't know we'll see nice. Important work. yes I, I do love going to your feed for Danger Boat and Inara and all, all the crew yeah uh, Jason, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at OrganJM. I do not tweet about dogs, but I definitely watch Steffi's Instagram feed. Yeah, we can all do that together. And Jen, I will let you plug absolutely everything that you are doing. Where can we find you and follow you? Um, I am currently still the most active on Instagram. That will be at GentleFactsWeekly. Um, I'm not going to spell that out. That's a little long, but I hope we can put it somewhere later on. Yes, um, we can put a link. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm going to be posting a lot of updates on the upcoming workshops that I'm planning, other events. Um, and so, yeah, it would be really great if people can check that out. If you want to follow the show, we're at Science Night One. Check out our website, SciNight.com, for past episodes, all of our social media, links to the stories that we talk about, and, of course, our merch. There's lots to see, and you can see it all at SciNight.com. We will be back in two weeks with another episode, and until then, have a great night. The Science Night Podcast is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. To find out more about our shows, go to riverpower.xyz.
how do I uh, shut it up? <laughs> <laughs>